Welcome to First Love Online Church with Nyral and O.C. Burnett. Flock is a ministry of First Love Fellowship whose mission is to win the church to Christ through unceasing prayer, intentional discipleship, and missional living. You can support the mission of First Love Fellowship by texting 918-300-4680 or by going to our website at wearefirstlove.com. And now prepare your hearts as Pastor Nyra shares a message with you on faith, trusting God without losing your mind, part four, diligence. We're going to continue on our, our series on faith, trusting God without losing your mind. And as you all know, we, we, we spoke or may know, we spoke about the devotional life and what the devotional life does. Now, first of all, before we go on, the devotional life, what I mean by that is that part of your life that consists of the works of piety, such as prayer, worship, intercession, fasting, meditation in a word, and the study of the scriptures. Those things all comprise our, our devotional life, the part of our life that we set aside as holy before God, that we give to God alone. And every, every Christian should have that part of their life about them. If, if you're a Christian with that part of your life that's weak, with a weak devotional life, then you'll notice that your spiritual life, your, your, the results of your spiritual life, the fruit of your spiritual life will also be weak. Now, if your devotional life is strong, it's going to do several things. Three things that we're focusing on, though, that your devotional life will, prove to, will, will, will produce. Uh, first of all, and this is not an exhaustive list, but first of all, your devotional life inspires direction. You'll know the direction and the, the, the area in which you need to go in life because of your devotional life. Your devotional life will, will, will give you the ability to know and understand the direction in which you should walk. Secondly, though, the devotional life will fuel diligence, meaning that you not only will know where to go, but you'll be able to give your, your calling and election more than just lip service. You'll be able to actually fulfill and do the things that you're called to do. And thirdly, of course, governs desire. Your devotional life should cause you to be able to govern your desires so that the things you want actually bring glory to God. And it's important that we understand that if our desires are not governed, we can work really hard doing the wrong thing for the wrong reasons. All right. But when you have a devotional life, what happens is you, you get the you, you begin in life to do the right things like going in the right direction with the right amount of diligence and input. And also, you'll be doing it for the right reasons. And that's what we're looking for in the devotional life. And so. Today, I'd like to focus on the diligence part. See, without diligence, you never really get to know who you are. You never really get to understand what type of stuff you're made of. Without diligence, you never know exactly how good of a writer you actually are. Because you're working on the talent that you brought to the table. When you have diligence, you practice and you train and you grow in your gifting. And so you get to discover the well, the deep well of ability that exists inside of you. And that begins to come out. So when you have diligence, you begin to understand exactly who you are and exactly what you're capable of. Diligence, though, is a choice. Uh, there was a, a man, Vince Lombardi said, you know, hard work. Hard work beats talent unless uh, uh, when talent doesn't work. 
Hard work beats talent when talent does not work. And I'm going to tell you something. With all that's going on in the world right now in this day, unfortunately, as much as we can uh, be tempted to complain about how terrible things are and how, how grieved we are about the state of the world and the state of the nations. Listen, the world is currently run by people who are working harder than you. That's the problem. The world is run by people who are more diligent than we are, even as saints of God, as Christians. And we can, we can say that we're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We can say that we are the head and not the tail. We can say we're above and not belief. But the reality on the ground is that the secular world, the ungodly world, is being driven by their own ambitions and they're working harder than you. And these things must not be so. Remember, hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work. And some of you, some of us are very talented, very able, but we're not adding the, the hard work that comes with, 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 the, with the talent that we have. And so let's say you can just be a naturally good singer. And so you sing all the time and you sing in the church and you do all these, these things in the, in the ministry, but you never really get better at what you do. You just work at the talent, work with the talent that you have. And, and I'm telling you, with diligence, that is not how this works. When you are talented at something and you're diligent, you apply that work to that talent and man, it skyrockets. And so... Someone asked me one time, they said, well, well Naira, how do, you, how do you become a good preacher? You know, what, what do you have to do? I said, well, you know, in order to become a good preacher, first of all, your preaching sound comes from your prayer sound. Your preaching sound comes from your prayer sound. So first of all, it's pray. Second of all, you got to preach. Like you don't become a good preacher by, by reading good books on preaching. Man, you become a good preacher by preaching. And it, it requires hard work. Yeah, you've got to study and you've got to know what you're talking about. The same is true of music. You can't do music part time and expect to be great at it. The same is true in medicine or engineering or, 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 or studying business. You, you, you did not become good at those things by just giving it part time effort. And so diligence is urgent in the church in our day. Because listen, right now we're living in a world that's in crisis. Right now, the world is, is no different. It's, it's no different from the most monumental days of human history. Meaning that 50 years from now, 70 years from now, should the Lord tarry, we're going to be reading about the days that you're in right now in the history books as some of the most pivotal points in history. The most pivotal point in human history. And you're in that day right now. So, so think about this. For example, covid COVID will be remembered forever. We were all in some way touched by COVID, whether you had COVID or not, whether you lost somebody to COVID or not, we will all forever remember COVID. We were all touched by it. Currently, crisis, the crisis in Israel right now is spiraling into something much, much larger where other large nations are now starting to get involved in the crisis in Israel. Also, Racial tensions are higher than ever. The clashes within our big cities with race between races of people, it's huge right now as we speak. The drug crisis, the fentanyl crisis is worse than any other time in history right now. If you walk through Philadelphia, if you walk through San Francisco, Los Angeles, any of our big cities, again, you'll literally see people out in the streets high off of drugs. This is unheard of just 20 years ago. 
where you'd see groups and mobs of people that are high on drugs and just walking around our city streets like zombies. But that's where we are right now. Just this past week, 800, 800 Sudanese uh, were killed by people who were loyalists to Hamas just for being Christian. And of course, this is being fueled by the conflict in Israel. But these people, they, they literally were lining the streets. Others were taken hostage. Other women were captured and raped and tortured and, and beaten. So we're only reporting on the deaths, but not on the lives that were completely devastated by the activities of evil, evil men. This is happening right now. Islamic uprisings are spreading throughout Europe, Africa, and in major American cities where Al-Qaeda and ISIS flags are replacing American flags. Yes, I'm telling you this right. ISIS and Al-Qaeda flags are being flown in our major U.S. cities. American flags are being torn down, and our politicians, our our police, our, uh, you know— our, our culture is standing down and just watching it happen. You know, I, I, what bothers me about that is like the police, when I, when I saw the footage, the police were just watching it happen. Now, for years, we've been backing the blue. For years, we've been honoring and, and taking our hats off for our law enforcement officers who put their lives on the line. For years we've been doing this, and so I'm thinking, man, this would be a good time for, for them to, to, to put their lives on the line and not tolerate the mess that's going on in our inner cities. If you saw what I saw, it was just like, man, they just watched as these people climbed the poles, ripped down the American flag, and replaced it with the uh, Palestinian flag. And I thought, what kind of dark days are we in right now? Law enforcement is standing down. Our politicians are keeping silent on certain things. Very few are even giving their voice because they're wondering how it's going to affect their, their votes and their donations and their support. And unfortunately, we live in that day where there has to be some kind of response. We're hearing from everybody right now but the church. It's as though, it's as though people are forgetting that things are going on all around them. If the media doesn't report it, it's like it doesn't even happen. It didn't even happen. So my question is, in response to all this, my question for you and me is what, what manner of people must we be in these dark days of human history? Who must I be? Who must you be in this time of human history, in this pivotal time where the world is going crazy? What do we do? And how do, we, how do we begin that journey into, into fulfilling exactly what God wants us to do? What is God saying to his church? What is God asking us to do? What is God's requirement of us right now? There was a time in the Bible where the Assyrians were knocking on Israel's door. And it was time to do something. It was time to be prepared. It was time to run after God. But we can't be business as usual in a time of crisis. I'm going to turn really quickly to the book of Leviticus, remembering that we're talking about diligence. A few years ago, it was prior to COVID, I kept on saying, you know, whatever it is that you are called to be, whatever it is you are supposed to be in life, uh, get that together by 2020. Like begin to walk in that thing by 2020. It's very important that you start to walk it out. And of course, in 2020, that's when COVID really hit um, and it hit hard and it hit without mercy. So 
let's 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 go. That's neither here nor there right now. But we'll, I'll get back to it. But Leviticus chapter twenty-five. It says here, the Lord said to Moses at Mount Sinai. Say to the people of Israel, when you come to the land, I will give you, then the land will have a year of rest to the Lord. Six years, you will plant seed in your field. Six years, you will take care of your vines and gather their fruit. But the seventh year will be a year of rest for the land, a year of rest to the Lord. You will not plant seed in your field or take care of your vines. You will not gather what grows of itself in your field and do not gather the fruit of the vines that have not been cared for. The land will have a year of rest. During the year of rest, the land will give food for you, for your men and women servants, the man you pay to work for you and the stranger who lives with you. Even your cattle and animals in your land will have food to eat. What God is showing us here is that during this Sabbath year, it was expected for, for six years, you're going to put labor, you're going to put toil, you're going to put diligence into the land. You're going to do the work that's necessary for that land to produce fruit. And the expectation throughout all that time is that that land will produce. But in the seventh year, you're going to stop toiling. You're going to stop working because now that land is going to begin to feed you. That land is going to begin to pour into you. This is the Sabbath rest for the land. See, in the same sense, God has given us land. And God has given us a destination that we're called to so that we might also enter a Sabbath rest designated for the people of God. Let's look really quickly. Hebrews chapter four, Hebrews chapter four. It says here four verse one. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to have fallen short of it. For indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. But the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith. So the word will not profit you if it is not mixed with faith. Again, the word will not profit you if it is not mixed with faith in those who heard it. For, for we who have believed do enter that rest. Who, who enters the rest? We who believe enter the rest. Let us therefore, and I'm skipping up to verse 11, let us for be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. There is a diligence that is necessary. There is a diligence from us that is necessary where we put in the diligence and all the work and all the labor and all the toil that God has called us to do. But there is a certain point in time where everything we were diligent towards us while we've been feeding it year after year after year after year, we've been feeding it. But now all of a sudden, after a while, it begins to feed you. That's what the Sabbath is. That's what the rest is. It's when you've been able to cease from your works and actually receive the benefit of the labor that you have put in. It's like building something that all of a sudden you cease building it and it starts serving you. See, the idea of Sabbath rest pertains to seasons of toil and labor being rewarded by provision. And that requires a couple things, according to the verse that we just read. It requires faith, of course, in Hebrews chapter 4. It requires faith because it has to be mixed with faith. Also, it requires that your hearts be not hardened. That scripture, we didn't read it, but it says today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your heart. Do not let your heart be hardened. It also requires diligence. It also requires obedience. But by the way, we, on Friday, 
we spoke about this. Uh, I think it was three weeks ago when I was home because we went away. But we spoke about something, and that was to write your big dream down. Did you write down your big dream? Because listen, if you're not, if you did not at least try to write down your big dream, I don't know what to tell you. Like from here, we, we have nowhere to go. Because the Bible says without a vision, the people perish. If you don't have any kind of vision, the next seven years are going to be pretty much like the last seven years, only a little bit worse. And it will just get worse and worse and worse. If you don't have a dream, if you don't have a plan, something written down, something to run with, then your life isn't really going to change that much. The world around you will continue to go on without any impact from you. So I'm asking you again, write down that dream. Write it down. Remind yourself of who God has, what God has put you on this earth to do. Remind yourself of who God has called you to be in this earth. And look at that thing every day. And remember who you are. Do not forget. I've been writing several things down. I'm writing more things down now because there's a lot of things that I believe that God has placed in my heart personally. So I'm not exempt from this either. All right, let's look at Psalm chapter 90 really quickly. Psalm chapter 90, verse 10. Psalm chapter 90, verse 10. And it says... Just a second here. As for the days of our life, they contain 70 years. Or if due to strength, 80. Yet their pride is but labor and sorrow. For soon it is gone and we fly away. Who understands the power of your anger and your fury according to the fear that is due you? So, Teach us to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. There it is. Teach us, Lord, to number our days. And I'm going to tell you something. Everything you need to reign and prosper in life, everything you need to fulfill the purpose that God has put you on this earth for during these tumultuous times, everything you need is within reach right now. It is all within reach for you. But what you do with time is the determining factor of whether you will succeed or fail at anything. It's what you do at time with time. And what I've noticed is that we've become far too proficient in our modern day with so many distractions that exist, whether it's TV or radio or Internet or our, our, our phones or, or any number of things, any number of controversies that are happening in the media. There are so many distractions, so many things to keep you off of the reason why God has put you on this earth. There's so many of them exist that who has time to focus on their purpose? But that's exactly what God is teaching us to do. Teach us to number our days so that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. And listen, only the wise will hear me here. Only the wise will hear it. We have to focus on the purpose that God has put us on this earth. We have to give it a clear look and do that thing. Focus on that thing. Become proficient at that thing and run with it. What can be done? I, I, I talked about this on Friday, about the next seven years. Next seven years, because we're talking about the Jubilee that, that, that jubilee, uh, Sabbath rest rather. The Sabbath rest, it's every seven years. So what can be done in seven years? Here we go. You can go from having a GED 
to a master's degree in seven years. That's it, just seven years. You can go from a poor credit score to an excellent credit score in seven years, just as though you had never had a poor credit score. Now, when I talk about these seven-year things here, I want you to understand that, that whether you choose to do what I'm talking about or not, you're going to spend the next seven years doing something. You're going to spend these you're, you're going to spend that time doing something. So you may as well grab the reins and get better control over exactly what's going to happen. Because what I notice that people do in life is they live responsively. They just exist until a trial comes. They exist until issues rise up. They exist until a tribulation comes. And what I'm saying is don't just wait for trouble to come. There are two types of people, right? That it's those people who who wait for trouble to come and respond. And it and and the other type of person is the one who gives trouble trouble. Those people that set out to do things and accomplish things to literally bring an attack upon the trouble that exists around them. So you can go from a poor credit score to an excellent credit score in in seven years, or you can just live by default and just let that thing spiral. That's your choice. But what I'm saying is you can trouble your trouble. All right, you can master a new skill in the marketplace. You can master it. So you can become a professional carpenter, stonemason. You can become an electrician. You can become a plumber. In seven years, you can become proficient in that thing. Things that you never imagined you'd be able to do, you can become, you can go from a know-nothing to an apprentice to a masterful person in seven years. You can learn to pilot an airplane in seven years. It, and, and by the way, a lot of these things take less, less than seven years to do, uh, including this. Learn to conduct brain surgery. You can go from where you are to opening up people's heads and operating on brains in seven years. You can become a medical doctor out of college in seven years. You can reset your physical makeup. So even if you were 850 pounds, if you were 850 pounds in seven years, you can lose 700 of those pounds at the rate of eight pounds per month. That's how deep this is. You can change your entire physical makeup in seven years. And someone says, well, I don't have time to do that. Well, you know, you, you, you're going to spend that time doing something. You may as well attack and trouble your trouble. Seven years in marriage is the threshold that must be broken to lower the statistic of divorce. Seven years is the end of the business threshold of failure also. If you're in business for seven years, it is said you can keep going. You can, you can do this. After seven years, you've proven it. Um, you can take your boss's job with your boss's help in seven years. Seven years is the amount of time that it takes to raise a teenager. 13 to 19, that's seven years. Seven years, you can travel the world visiting one continent per year. Visiting countries, starting in your own continent. And again, these things take less than seven years. But the point that I'm making is that in the next seven years, so many significant changes can happen in your life. You know, seven years is the amount of time it takes for, you know, the, for the great tribulation to happen. Seven years. The entire great tribulation in seven years. 
And I don't think it's fair that, that you would do this to yourself, that you would spend all of your time wasted, waste all of your time in seven years when literally the great tribulation can happen and your life does not change significantly at all. All you do is wait for things to happen to you. Seven years. It all can happen. You can, you can literally go from where you are to being an astronaut in seven years. You can learn to play a sport at a professional level in seven years. What that means is that if you're 40 years old and you begin to apply yourself, your youth will literally return back to you. And you begin to reverse some of the things that aging impacts because you've been deliberately troubling your trouble for seven years. In seven years, you can learn almost any language fluently. What that means is that I could be in the middle of Sweden. And in seven years, I can learn the language and speak it fluently. I can go to Russia and learn the language fluently. I can go to China and learn the language. I can go among Aboriginal trials in New Zealand or Australia and learn their language in seven years. That's how deep this is. And that's for those of you who feel like you're called to missions. You know, like God's called, you know, you'll say God's called me to, you know, South America. And, and so, you know, well, how is your Portuguese? How is your Spanish? Because you'll need to learn some of those languages. You'll need to learn some of the indigenous languages in South America. In seven years, you can become a missionary and preach the gospel to literally anyone that God sends you to and learn the language. You know, one of the things we talked about is that you can't be a needer. As believers, we have to stop this whole idea of always being needers. Because if you're a needer, you don't, you don't move forward. I used to always tell my kids, listen, work with what you, stop working with what you wish you had. Work with what you've got, not with what you wish you had. Don't just be stalled because you don't think you have enough. Because oftentimes we allow ourselves to be fed this idea that we're not ready, we're not prepared, we don't have enough this, we don't have enough that. And God is telling you, like, like go, go now. Do what, become the thing that God has put you on this earth to be. Seek and you shall find. You are, you are either engaged in the disciplines necessary or you're not engaged in the discipline, discipline that you need. And honestly, I, we ought to all be tired of dreaming and not doing. Of, of dreaming and, and just one daying the purpose and calling of God that you've got. Eventually, we should be wanting to see some real things happen because let me tell you, this lost world is more committed to their debauchery. They're more committed to their sin. They're more committed to their transgression than we are in the church committed to the purpose and call of God. And that must change. There has to be a shift where we're able to apply diligence to what we're called to do. You know, we were talking about how Alicia Keys, uh, musician Alicia Keys, um, made some very nasty remarks about her support with with her support with to to the Hamas, the terrorist group, and said something on her post about wanting to take up paragliding. And she lied and said, of course, that it had no, one had nothing to do with the other. It was obviously a lie. Um, however, she re she backtracked it, and everybody got all upset with her about what she said, and and because you know. 
They were throwing babies into ovens that day. They were killing entire families that day. To show support for an organization that would do that is, is ridiculous. And yes, you can be as outraged as you want. The problem is that her life has proven that she works harder than we do. That's the problem. She plays the piano, and so in her training, she would play the piano for eight hours a day. How many of you worship musicians play the piano for eight hours a day? How many of you Christian musicians sit there and learn your craft for eight hours a day? How many of you ministers who are called to preach the word study the word for eight hours a day? God may call you to be a mechanic. Are you doing that for eight hours a day? What exactly are we doing, if anything, for eight hours a day? We can look at our phones sometimes. Look at how much screen time we're offering it. And for some of us, you'll see it. Yeah. Eight hours a day of wasted time. And I'm telling you something. I am getting tired of criticizing people who work harder than me. And you should too. By now, you should be tired of criticizing people who are working harder than you. Instead of using that energy to criticize what they do, take that energy and apply diligence to what God has put you here on this earth to be. This is an urgency in our day, y'all. And listen, here's what we, here's what we do in a church. Because we talk about prosperity, and I, th I think, honestly, we give prosperity lip service. You get a millionaire preacher who stands in front of a church of, 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 of congregation that, that has nothing, right? And we teach them about giving and sowing and reaping alone. And we, we give this narrow and ineffective assumption that prosperity somehow will come just because you put money in the offering plate. Well, no, not if you're called to be a surgeon, not if you're called, no, if you're called to be a surgeon, you can't just put money in the offering plate. You've got to study. You've got to put the work in. If you're called to be an engineer, you've got to put the work in. If you need to run for the governor of your state, you've got to put the work in. It's, it is more than just putting money in the offering plate. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 10, verse 4, verse 4, that it says he becomes poor who deals with a slack hand, but the hand of the diligent makes rich and see this is a lazy philosophy that makes us think that somehow money is going to fall out of the sky if we just put money in the offering plate it's lazy the question i have for us is do you have the work ethic whether spiritual or natural to see your dreams come true do you have the work ethic to see it actually happen Maybe you're an athlete. You're not going to be an athlete and be a couch potato. It's just not going to fall from the sky. There's things that you have to do and apply diligence to in order to see it happen. But see, what the church does, what the saints do, is we sit on our callings. We sit on our giftings. We sit on our talents, and we do nothing. And when you look at the scripture concerning the parable of the talents, which we won't get into today, it tells us that that person who hid their talent was called a wicked and lazy servant. God called it wickedness that we would sit on our talents, sit on our abilities and not do anything with it. And so I'm telling you, saints of God, he's calling us to a higher place. He's calling us to a better place. But he needs a response from you that's diligent. 
The trick of the adversary is to lock you into a community or a job or even a church that influences you to mediocrity. Don't spend any amount of time with people who are okay with you being mediocre. Don't spend any amount of time with them. Don't, don't, don't spend any time with people who inspire mediocrity. Because if you're going to be something, you have to be the best at it. And, and see, you can literally be inspired to be unfaithful to the purpose that God has put you on this earth for. And I'm going to tell you something. If you're unfaithful, what that means is that you're not giving every single day to that thing. It's better, listen, it is better to be consistent than it is to be severe. What we tend to do is we're giving our, our severity. So, you know, if you're, if you're going to run a marathon, you understand that you can't just do a good run every couple of weeks if you're planning on running a marathon. No, it's what you do every single day that's going to determine whether or not you're going to be able to run that thing. But you can't wait till the day before the marathon and then give the best work out of your life and think you're going to run a marathon. No, it's what you do every single day, step by step, inch by inch, all the time. It's what you've developed a habit to do every single day that's going to determine whether you're going to succeed or fail. If you're, if you're someone who is called into politics, for example, I ought to be getting so tired of seeing you around because all you talk about is this thing. What is your obsession? What are you obsessed with? What are you so locked into and engaged to that people kind of look at you and say, oh my goodness, they've gone off the deep end into this thing. Someone told me on Friday, based on this message, they said, it's like being lukewarm. Can you really give lukewarm effort to something you're called to and expect it to succeed? No. In Revelation chapter 3, God says, because you're neither hot nor cold, but lukewarm, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. God rejects lukewarmness. And I believe everything in nature, everything in, in, in creation uh, rejects lukewarmness. There's got to be a push and a power behind what you do. Let us suffer the pain of discipline rather than the pain of regret. There's a statement that says, you know, when is the best time to plant a peach tree? Well, the best time to plant the peach tree is 20 years ago. But the second best time is right now. And so the, to allow time to just go by without fulfilling purpose, it's like a slow suicide. It's, a slow, it's like you're just slowly dying with each day. With each day, this world is throwing one thing after another at you. You're being hit by one trial and one tribulation and one tragedy after another until all of a sudden you realize that you've been impacted by this world more than this world has been impacted by you. And what I'm asking us is, what is that thing that God has put us here on this earth to impact? Because if we apply diligence to it, we will feed it year after year after year. But at a certain point in time, it's going to begin to feed you and everybody around you. But it's up to you. All right, let's look at James chapter 2. James chapter 2. Verse 18, it says, but someone will say, well, you, you have faith, but I have works. 
Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe there is one God? You do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Faith without works is dead. It is DOA. It is dead on arrival. If all you have is faith, but there is zero effort behind what you're saying you believe, it's telling you in the scripture here that your faith is dead also. Diligence is the demonstration of our faith. What it means is that if you believe you're called to start a business, your diligence is the demonstration that you believe what you are saying. Do y'all know what a lie is? A lie isn't something you say that people don't believe is true. That's not a lie. A lie is not something you say that people don't believe is true. In reality, that could be the truth. I can tell someone the truth and they don't believe me. Just because other people don't believe you, what you say doesn't mean you've told a lie. That's not a lie. A lie is something that you say that you don't believe is true. If you are telling a lie and if you are saying something that you don't believe is true, that's a lie. For those of you who, are who, who believe that you're called to do something, but on the inside you're not demonstrating the, the effort and the diligence behind getting that thing done, you're lying to yourself. You're telling a lie because you don't believe it's true. But if you believe it's true, you're going to apply the diligence behind that thing. It is the demonstration that you have faith. Your diligence shows your faith. You show me a person who says they have faith but not works, I will show you my faith by my works. Saints of God, let's begin to show our faith by our work. Let's get the work done. It's time to stop offering lip service to our calling and our election. It's time to stop offering lip service to the impact that we could have in this world and start offering diligence, offering diligence and strength. While we, you know, our, our belief is seen by the work we put in, knowing that while we labor in our field, our field will soon work on our behalf. It says in Proverbs chapter 22, it says, see, see a, a man that is diligent in his business, he shall stand before kings. And he will not stand before obscure men. How weary are you to have to stand before obscure men to have to work for people who don't, who, 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 who are meaningless, obscure people. To be under the thumb of people who don't mean you well. One translation says they, he will not stand before mean men. Or they will not stand before obscure or average people. And a lot of us are finding ourselves in life, we're not standing before kings, we're standing before obscure people. And I mean that in a bad way. I mean, we're standing before obscure people having to serve them in ways that God never intended us to serve them. We often saw, we, we, we fall short simply because we do not put in the work. And see, when we don't put in our work, it's like, listen, y'all, the, the enemy, the, when we don't put in the work, the enemy does not care about not one of our excuses. Not even one. The enemy doesn't care about your best excuse. 
The enemy doesn't care about your classic excuses, the ones you use all the time. No, the enemy does not care about any of them. I want you to learn to disobey tired. Learn to disobey sick. Learn to disobey your headache. Learn to disobey that desire to just sit there on the couch and stare at your phone or stare at the TV set. Disobey depressed. Disobey the devil is attacking me. We have a purpose to fulfill in this earth. God's got a calling and the adversary does not respect your excuses and neither does God and neither does the world around you. If you're the one that's called brother and sister, you'd better be the one to do it and you better apply diligence to it because if you apply diligence, that's where your prosperity is going to blossom. And it's going to be wonderful. But listen, we have to get away from the blame game for our lack of moving forward. Stop blaming white people. Stop blaming immigrants. Stop blaming Joseph Biden and Donald Trump or the LGBTQ community or the economy or whatever else, whatever nonsense you see on the news. Start, start, stop blaming that and realize that the answer to, to what God has put you on this earth for, the answer to your prospering and, and reigning in life is inside of you diligence is what brings it out we often ask what is the purpose both God and the devil have the answer to that question which one will you obey so my final question is this what will you do with the next seven years? If you've written down that dream, that, that big dream, that vision, what are you going to do for the next seven years to see that thing come to pass? It may not even take seven years, but what are you going to do with the next seven years? And this ought to be your prayer. The prayer ought to be from right where you are, no matter what state of life you're in right now, it ought to be, Lord, give me a diligent spirit. Give me a spirit, a, a something about me. Give me a diligent or a, and even an excellent spirit. Pray until you birth something. Pray until the diligence comes. Fight for this thing. Because it's urgent and vital in our day. You don't have to sit there and work at a call center for the rest of your life. You don't have to sit there wandering in confusion, watching your teenagers go out of control. No, there is a pushback, but it's going to require a diligence. It will. You don't have to sit there and suffer one sickness after another sickness after another sickness. It's like the enemy just waits in line and sees what he can attack you with next. No, listen, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. I don't care what's going on in your life. I want you to understand that God has made you to be more than a conqueror. And you are able to do this. You are able to push forward from no, no matter where you are in life right now. I don't care if you're listening to me from the car that you live in. You're able to go from where you are to your destination. You know, a lot of people criticize Tyler Perry. And, and maybe there's some, some, some reason for that. 
But I'm going to tell you what. This man lived in his car. And he was still pushing. He lived in his car and was still pushing toward the vision and dream that he had. This is why I keep telling us, listen, stop criticizing people that work harder than you. Now Tyler Perry, after all that all that living in his car and going from church to church and not getting paid and, and trying to do these plays and, and it not working out and losing people and going through trial and tribulation, today Tyler Perry owns BET. Today, Tyler Perry owns VH1. And if you've not been diligent in the past 20 years, today, you're pretty much in the same spot you were 20 years ago. I just want to give a fair warning here. Ask the Lord to give you a diligent spirit. Because this is what your devotional life is for. Let your diligence be fueled. Finally, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says, my brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord for as much as you know, your labor is not in vain. Your tears, your crying, your, 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 your suffering, your working, you're wondering whether or not you can do this. You're wondering whether or not you actually believe in yourself. All, all those things are, the, none of your suffering is in vain. None of your labor is in vain. But if you don't believe in you, you can't expect anyone else in the world to believe in you. Keep going. I don't care what, the, what, what feelings may come, what, what, what dep- not depression, but what, what, what fears may try to raise up their ugly head. I don't care if the enemy does try to throw depression at you. Listen, You keep going no matter what and learn to disobey the voices that are holding you back because they're going to tell you that you're too sick. They're going to tell you that you're too broke. They're going to tell you that you're too fat. They're going to tell you you're too skinny. They're going to tell you that you're not ready. They're going to tell you all those different things, but you keep moving forward no matter what. Next seven years, because from wherever you're sitting right now, you could literally be on the International Space Station looking down upon the earth, realizing that all you had to do to get there was be diligent. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I pray for your people. Lord, we repent of our lack of diligence, lazy spirit. I pray that you forgive your people for having a lazy spirit for allowing our past and our issues and our traumas to govern our lives in such a way that causes us to stop everything and just bow at the altar of our trauma and bow at the altar of our issues. This day, no more. No more. We're not bowing. We're going to learn to disobey our trauma. We're going to learn to disobey our issues We're going to learn to disobey the things that cause us not to be diligent. And begin to look at the reason you've put us on this earth. Apply diligence to it. Lord, you're able to give us strength. Your word says, blessed be the Lord, my strength. Your word says, the Lord is the strength of my life. I pray, Father, give your people strength. Give your people fervency. Give your people diligence. 
for the days ahead are evil. And I pray in Jesus' name, Lord, that this world would not only be impacted by people who don't know you, who apply diligence to the dark kingdom. Let there be light. Through the diligence of the church, let there be light. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you all. Thank you all for, for joining us this, this morning for First Love Online Church. I really mean it. Write it down. Pray, pray about it, and write it down. I want you to understand what you're putting this earth for. You in particular, specifically you. And then give yourself to becoming that thing and walking that out. It may seem ridiculous. The Holy Spirit may speak to your heart something wild. Well, then let's get wild for the kingdom. This is just to let you know, First Love Fellowship is my dream. I had this written down years ago. And um, we're not finished yet. It's not where I believed it was supposed to go still. But I do believe that within these next seven years of diligence and praying and continuing in the work of the Lord steadfastly, we'll see it come to pass. I'm going to ask this morning that you support the vision and mission of First Love Fellowship, unceasing prayer, intentional discipleship, missional living, Support the vision that we have to win the church to Christ by giving. You can go, you can give by going to wearefirstlove.com. There are some of you who have received great benefit from the work that we do at First Love Fellowship. I'm going to call on your honor to be a blessing in return. That if spiritual things have been poured into your life, that you would pour into First Love Fellowship natural things, just as the scripture says. So when you give, go to wearefirstlove.com, click the giving link, and give generously. Give bountifully. The scripture says that he that sows sparingly shall reap sparingly, and he that sows bountifully shall reap bountifully. And when you do that, the scripture says God gives grace. He makes it abound towards you. He makes his enabling power abound toward you so that whatever you wrote down on that paper, God is going to enable you to do it give this morning and it will be given back unto you the lord bless you and keep you the lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you the lord lift up his countenance unto you and bring you peace in the name of jesus christ the son of god our savior amen be blessed thank you thank you so much for listening your generous support enables us to continue to fulfill our mission to win the church to Christ through unceasing prayer, intentional discipleship, and missional living. You can offer additional financial support by texting 918-300-4680 or by going to our website at wearefirstlove.com. Until we meet again, may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of Jesus, the Son of God, our Savior. Always remember your first love.